Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33 which you will find in the New Testament section of your pew Bibles on page 15 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer of illumination. Holy God, there are days where the wind is loud. There are days where the rain tears through the trees and the storms of life beg for our attention. So just as you stilled the wind and the sea, still our wandering hearts. Quiet our restless minds. Reach out your hand to us and pull us into your word so that we might hear, really hear, your message for us today. With one foot out of the boat, we pray. Amen. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you out on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have raised two pastor's kids, and they sometimes are ahead of themselves in faith, but not all other areas, or at least in Bible knowledge. So my daughter, Carlina, when she was about third or fourth grade, had a favorite singer at a church who would always sing Precious Lord, the hymn that we sang earlier. And Carlina would love to belt it out with her, but her version of the words were, I am weak, I am tired, I am bored. So uh, it took a while for her to grow out of that one. Now, as we see in our passage, the disciples never had time to get bored following Jesus. Right before our passage, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. And then he goes off to pray. As we've heard, the disciples decide to take a floating head start. If you look at a map of the lake, They cut off the top of the lake, moving from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock where Capernaum was, 
and Jesus says he'll catch up with them. They assume that he'll just walk around. Jesus is always full of puzzles and surprises, but what happens next, no one expected. So when Jesus comes walking towards them on the water, especially in the midst of a storm, they were freaking out, and so would we. Today, we'll look together at how God gets our attention. Peter has an amazing response. How we interpret Jesus' reaction to Peter says a lot. And, but I'm not Peter. How does this apply to me? So God gets our attention. If you think about it, people, even those of little faith or no faith, expect God, if God's out there, to be present in a crisis. It's the reason for so many so-called foxhole conversions, the desperate turn to God in a critical life-endangering circumstance such as combat. Humans hope for a big God ready to save us, even if we have trouble believing sometimes, or even if it's just from a speeding ticket, our prayer lives dramatically improve at the sight of those blue and red bubble lights. But do we expect a God who goes out of his way to get our attention, to show God's self to us in unmistakable ways, to remind us that God is not bound by the physical realm since God created it? That's what Jesus does here. Jesus takes this ordinary act of walking to catch up with the disciples into an extraordinary act, a miracle, walking on water. So you picture it, walking ever nearer to the disciples over the waves. Jesus responds to them with a calm, it's me, or as the NRSV translates, it is I. It's a Greek phrase, ego ami. A closer look at your footnotes shows this, it is I, could or should be translated as I am. So Jesus doesn't just say, hey, it's me, guys. He says, I am. For those of you who are present with us this summer, as we looked at the book of Exodus, this might ring a mental bell for you because Moses heard those words from God too. When, do you remember, Moses saw a burning bush, he kicked off his flip-flops because he was on holy ground. God tells him to go to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Moses says, who are you anyway? And this time, instead of saying who God hangs out with, I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, and, uh, and Isaiah, excuse me, Isaac and Jacob. Um, God reveals God's own name. God says, I am. That fact that God says, I am, in the present tense shows that God is saying, I exist, I'm here now, at this very moment, I'm alive, yet I'm not bound by time. And so, too, in this mid-lake moment, just in case the disciples missed it when he fed the 5,000, just in case the disciples missed it when he started walking across the water, just in case we miss it in our questions and in our doubts, our Bible reports God's words that Jesus says, he insists, I am. He's saying, I am Yahweh, I am God. Got it? 
And so the disciples get it. For good reason, commentators declare that these stories of this episode, of this time in Jesus' life with the disciples, are the turning points in each of the Gospels. They're the point when faith in the person of Jesus becomes clear as the matter at issue. It's a decision. Will you believe or won't you? And Jesus reassures the disciples, I am God, don't be afraid. I wonder, how might any of us respond? Well, Peter has an amazing response. He says to Jesus, if it is you, command me to come. Is he not totally convinced? I don't know, but he is ready to jump out of the boat, which takes incredible courage. He's ready to try it out. He says, command me. Peter is a larger-than-life character in the Gospels. He's impetuous, yet he's ready for anything. He tends to think first, excuse me, act first and think later. In your devotional booklet, which I encourage you to pick up or find the link online to the e-reader, the link in our, excuse me, in our e-news, you can find the link to the e-reader, but there's copies around the sanctuary and in the hall. Reverend Liesel Gwingarity writes, we're beginning to understand that Peter's emotions and his faith wander just like ours do. He's back and forth from one minute to the next. What unfolds here is that Peter, the impetuous or brave one, steps out of the boat. And it's interesting that Matthew, the gospel writer, isn't worried about putting Peter in a bad light. He doesn't just conveniently skip over what happens next because it's important to the faith story, to Peter's and to ours. So what if Peter sank? Let's recognize his bold courage first, that what it was required to take a faith, a leap of faith, or as Michael Hirsch calls it, a faith of leap. He steps willingly into the storm. And as we look at this story, we actually see doubt as a step that's normal. It's an important element in fostering a healthy spiritual life. And we see Jesus extending his hand, reminding us that God is with us in every storm. In the hallway, you can see uh, a piece of art that relates to today's, today's uh, text. You can see it in your devotional booklet. We want to challenge the notion that Peter failed to be faithful in here. Referring to the disciples, Nadia Boltz Weber asserts, I think the failure was not like ours, was not unlike ours. Sometimes we believe that if our lives are screwed up, it must mean that God is far off, that God is not present. The failure is embodying the lie that calm waters are the only satisfying proof of God's presence of God's presence. Calm waters are not the only proof of God's presence. In this series, we'll affirm that faith is a constant journey, a steadfast pursuit. It ebbs and flows like the water, that wandering is exploration, not necessarily distance from God. Peter is willing to risk it all to go to Jesus, to walk on water. That's courageous. And notice that before Peter got out of the boat, he did not ask Jesus for a promise. He didn't say, Lord, promise me I won't sink and I'll come to you. No, he says, command me. He believes in Jesus' authority. If you command me, it can happen. 
Let's look again at that scripture from verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on water, and came toward Jesus. Let's consider two pivotal moments in this story as if they're frozen in time. The first is Peter's attempting to walk on the water. And the second is Peter sinking, holding tightly to Jesus' outstretched hands. Might these two moments represent different postures or stages in our faith over time? Perhaps the first could represent a bold faith that tries to obey what God asks us to do, attempting to prove faithfulness by trying to be like God, to do whatever God asks. A second moment could, instead of failure, represent a wholehearted faith that reaches out for God when, for help when the storms engulf us. Which of these two moments in this story do you most resonate with? It's not a linear thing that we grow from one into the next. Like Peter, we go back and forth, we wander, our hearts wander. But Brian McLaren argues that doubt is the passageway from a stage of faith to the next. Without doubt, it's hard for our faith to grow, to mature and develop. Without questions, it's hard for us to process and move forward. In this story, how do you think that Peter's questions, Peter's doubt, might help him move from one place to another? commentator writes, when we sink again and again, we know that's what it's like in our journey of faith and in our own struggles with doubt. But we don't catch on that Lord save me is both the cry of a miraculous disciple and a miserable sinner. When we follow Jesus, we find we both can and we cannot. We can do what God asks with the Holy Spirit's help, and we cannot do it on our own, on our own power. But that willingness in the midst of us to cry, in the midst of it, to cry, Lord, save me, is key. Let's look again at the next verse, 30. When he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our ears open for God's encouragement, even when we're sinking? How do we recognize God at work in the ordinary moments or perhaps the desperate ones? What about the ordinary moments? A teacher friend recently told me about a student named DJ who was always somehow getting out of the classroom. He had gotten in trouble for taking a book of hall passes and just as he finished his suspension, his latest trick was that he would suddenly say, I gotta blow my nose and go out into the hall. Well, one day, after about a week, she had said, what is he doing out there? She signaled to her co-teacher. She stepped out of the classroom, and as soon as she stepped out, she noticed a girl coming towards her down the hall who immediately passed out stone cold, fell over backwards. The only thing that saved her from hitting her head was her backpack. Thank goodness she had that on. And wouldn't you know, right as the teacher went up to help the girl, here comes DJ around the corner. And teacher says, get the, get the security guards, call 911. They were able to get the girl help very quickly. She was okay. And so the next day, the teacher says, 
DJ, you gotta stop with stepping outside. But DJ says, Mrs. G, you gotta admit that was God. I'm the reason that you came outside, but it was God. And then I was right there at the right moment to help. It was totally God. Come on, Mrs. G. And she said, yep, it was totally God. And so with a big grin, DJ says, I figure you should be thanking me too, right? And she says, DJ, you gotta stop with stepping outside. Yes, it was God. So where do you find yourself today? How do you respond with Peter? How do you respond to Jesus? How do you recognize God's help? Let's look at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught Peter, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I've been playing with this passage in my mind. How we interpret Jesus' reaction to Peter says a lot. What if Jesus is like high-fiving Peter and giving Peter noogies and saying, oh, you big oaf, come on, why don't you trust me? That would be different than sometimes how we think about this. Or maybe Jesus is questioning Peter's attempt to show bravado. Jesus is saying, oh, come on, you were showboating, pun intended. It was only disciple who climbed out of the boat. Maybe Jesus is saying, what are you doing these crazy stunts for? Or maybe Jesus is questioning Peter's doubt in Jesus. Oh, you of little faith. Maybe Jesus says it with a shake of his head and sadness. Or maybe Jesus is questioning Peter's self-doubt. Like, come on, you had it. You were walking. Why did you doubt? Is he questioning Peter's own self-doubt in Peter? How we interpret Jesus' reaction to Peter says a lot about the scripture and about us and what we'll learn from it. But I'm not Peter. How does this apply to my faith life now? I don't think we're surprised that Peter's courage gives way. We've experienced it. We've experienced that fear of failure or of self-doubt, that cold sweat. It breaks out when we step out to take a risk or maybe when we open our mouths to share our faith, to tell someone how we see God at work in our story, it might not be so easy for us to say, oh, come on, that was totally God. How can we continue to be brave in our lives of faith? Peter seems pretty brave. What about us? How do we apply this story to our risk-taking for God, our working for good in our world, in our neighborhood? In the book Matthew for Everyone, Tom Wright suggests that we imagine this scenario. Surfers on the beach in California, when suddenly a double-sized wave rears up and threatens them, knocks everybody over, toad, as they call it. Now take away the surfboard, the sunshine, the sand, and replace them with darkness, fear, and a howling gale. A double-sized wave, one person alone against the elements, that's Peter. That's often what it feels like when we try to bring God's love and healing power into the wild night of our world. And that's where we often need to hear once more Jesus' words, a combination of rebuke, perhaps, but encouragement. Is that really how much faith you have? What are we going to do with your doubt? 
This moment we are most strongly tempted to give up, it's probably the moment that though we can't see it, Jesus is just a step away. And we too can say, Lord, save me. We can reach out. Verse 32, 33, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. In the Gospel of Mark, it says, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? We too need to ask those questions for ourselves. But they all, it leads them all to worship. Truly you are the Son of God. Can we confess that about Jesus? Or do we need to learn more, to spend more time seeking out who Jesus is? Can we worship Jesus in the midst of our risk-taking, our falling, our failing, in our being rescued by Jesus time and again, in our grabbing Jesus' hand? In your devotional, Terence Foster, Dr. Terence Foster writes, as we continue wandering with Peter, Let's affirm the ways that Peter keeps going. He drops his nets, he walks on water, he runs to the empty tomb, he swims to the shore to meet the risen Christ. He keeps searching and yearning and loving, even after all his mistakes or missteps. Ultimately, in Peter's story, we are reminded that God loves imperfect people like us. And in fact, time and again, that's precisely who God claims and calls and invites into his work in the world. And we have a joyful privilege as disciples, just like Peter, of joining in. I'm going to ask us to do something out of order in closing here. At the end of your bulletin, if you have it, we have a breakthrough prayer. And so you can turn to that. I didn't give them a warning up there. They may not be able to put it on the screen. But all during Lent, we are praying this prayer together. And it seems most fitting to this story. So let's close in prayer. God, we lift our situations to you with our prayers. Please do what we cannot do ourselves. Change what we cannot change ourselves, including your changing us without limits. Amen.